Hello and welcome back to our daily devotional podcast. Today we look at Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 is about the great persecution of the church, especially when Peter was arrested and how God miraculously delivered him from captivity. Let us now look at the passage. Before that, let us pray. Father, we pray that you speak to us your truths about your mission for us and for our purpose on earth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 12 About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around him and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gates leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had come of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. 
But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're often very entranced by this great, spectacular miracle. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains with centuries before the door, at the front of the door guarding the prison. It was like a battalion, four squads of soldiers just guarding this man. It was impenetrable. It was inescapable. Peter was held there by a cruel king. And yet we see Peter walk out miraculously, being led by an angel, opening the doors, walking right past the sentries, unscathed, unnoticed, and then reaching the outside and going back to his loved ones. What a spectacular miracle. And often we long for miracles. And we hear stories of great miracles, whether of delivery, deliverance, great miracles of healing. I have read many miracles. I've spoken to people with great miracles. And they always amaze me how powerful God is. But we must not forget that single liner in Acts chapter 12 that said in verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. There was a miracle for Peter, but in one sense there wasn't a miracle for James, the brother of John. He simply died and it became like a footnote. We remember too how others simply died. Stephen, who had been chosen to be a steward for the poor, for the widows, what an important role, died before he even began his work. We think of Peter too, that though he was delivered this time, he didn't live his life happily ever after. He lived his life for a while more, and then he was crucified, legend tells, or history, or well, popular legend, which may possibly be true, that he refused to be crucified upright and he died crucified upside down for the Lord. Peter was delivered this time from death, only to die a more cruel death. Life is unpredictable. In fact, this is Acts chapter 12 that we, are, we just read. Three days ago, we read Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, we see towards the end um, of Paul's conversion in verse 31, walking, and it says in verse 31, after Saul had been converted and became Paul, it says the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. The church had peace and was being built up. That was just a short while ago. It was barely anything, three years maybe, before a more cruel king. Paul, Saul was cruel, but he had little power. He was just an official, um, a Pharisee with the temple. But here was King Herod who had all the power in the world. And he simply seized James, killed him. And seeing that the people were happy about that, he decided to go on a rampage. He then arrested Peter, planning to again amuse the people by, by executing Peter. 
things had gone from bad to worse. We all thought, they all thought, that Saul was bad. But after Saul was converted, there was peace throughout the land for some time, several years. And they thought that was boom time. And then Herod came. And we see how much more powerful and vicious Herod is. That when, when he discovered that, that Peter had, been, had escaped, he called the guards who were responsible and had them all executed. And the first time when Peter and John were arrested by the temple guards and kept by temple guards and God delivered them, the temple officials were not that cruel. They simply interrogated the guards and asked them where Peter, what had happened. In this instance, King Herod summarily executed the guards. Times had become terrible. It had become from bad to good to worse. And then it says the church gathered to pray. I wonder what they prayed for. Because it seemed as though Peter's life had been, death had been sealed already. His doom was there. Perhaps they prayed for themselves, but it says they prayed for Peter. Perhaps they prayed that Peter would find peace. Perhaps they prayed that God would just be with Peter. But it was impossible to hope that God would deliver Peter. And so this story continues. It says that when Peter went home to this, to this group of friends, they first said to Rhoda, the servant, that she was out of her mind. She had gone mad. And then when she convinced them and kept saying that it was so, they then said, then it must be his angel. He must be dead. It must be his ghost or his angel who was coming. Never occurred to them that God would deliver Peter. It was way beyond the imagination. The truth is this, that what God does for us and to us is always way beyond our imagination. And sometimes we hanker after and we tell God how we expect another miracle, like the miracle of Peter, like the raising of the dead, like Lazarus who's raised from the dead. We expect God to do things like that. The reality is that God is unpredictable because He has His plans. And while we wish that God would do something, God's purpose for us is very different. His purpose is not that we survive or we miraculously enjoy our lives on earth, but that we be delivered. If God delivers us, it is for a purpose, that we continue to serve Him, because this life is not the life for enjoyment. We need to come to this, the realization of this truth, I want to have a good life. I want to retire well. I want to have enough savings to retire and then die wonderfully. But I know that that may not be what God has planned for me or for anyone else. It may be a morbid thought, but I am reminded that my life on earth is a life of labour, that I may enjoy myself truly in heaven in the presence of God. And so it was with each of these disciples. Peter knew that his delivery, deliverance was not so that he could live happily ever after. He knew that his deliverance 
was for further service till the day he died. Paul, who says, for me to live is Christ, to live is fruitful ministry, is fruitful service, to die is gain. Death, then, is not a thing to be feared, but something to be looked forward to, not that we engineer it because there is work on earth, but something that we look forward to because it is a time of our rest. I don't think I need to say more about the unpredictability of life. We see it around us every day. Just last year, someone, a, a senior church leader of my, of my church, who was planning to go full-time at some point, suddenly discovered he had cancer. Within four to five months, despite our earnest prayers for him, he passed away. He passed away quite painfully. Yet the miracle wasn't that he was healed. The miracle was that to the last, he continued to care for the people that, he was entr- that were entrusted to him. See, this man was very good with the seniors. And he cared for them, he cared for his peers. And to the last, he was praying for each of them. But we were hoping, we had plans that he would serve a lot more among the seniors. He was such a gifted person with them. He was quite young, but he just had a way with seniors. He had a way of speaking to them, engaging them, encouraging them. And we thought that that was God's pathway for him. In fact, he had come to my office several times. We had talked about his future, about plans, about him laying aside his planning for the future and then coming over to serve with us. Before any of these things could happen, he passed away. And then there was another close friend, both the couple, very close friends, whom we were so excited about having a child. And then they discovered that the child had more and more problems even before she was born. And then she was delivered. The father one day was saying, we don't even know how to pray anymore. To pray for healing would be wonderful for us. But heaven is a good place for her as well. We agonize with them. We agonize for this young child. But we know that life is unpredictable. And we know that at one point we may excel, we may enjoy great things. At another point, we may not. Paul again says, I've learned to be content with much. And I've learned to be content with nothing. Because our life on earth is just a journey and we are pilgrims. We must not put too much stake on it to say, I want to be settled, I want to have a good life on earth. Rather, we turn our minds around and we say, I want to be of service to God to the last breath that I have. Perhaps that would be a more meaningful way of living. I think of the story of Horatio Spafford, who wrote, who wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Spafford was um, a very rich lawyer, and then one day his four-year-old son died. And while he was still grieving over the death of his four-year-old, a great, the great Chicago fire destroyed his business and ruined him financially. But that wasn't the worst, because... Two years later, 
economic downturn of 1873 destroyed his family, his business interests even more. And at that time, he was planning to serve D.L. Moody in his evangelistic campaigns. Here was a faithful Christian who wanted to do so much for God. And here he was losing his business twice and becoming financially ruined. And so as he sent his family on uh, to cross the Atlantic Ocean, he stayed behind to settle some business. While his family was crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship sank after collision. His four daughters died, only his wife survived. Tragedy after tragedy within a five-year span. And as Spafford travelled to meet his grieving wife, his ship passed the place where his four daughters died. And he wrote the hymn, It is well with my soul. Let me read a few stanzas for you. I will not sing this song, but let me read it for you. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds rode back like a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Here was a man who lost virtually everything. But what he knew was that he loved God and God loved him. And that was enough for this moment. We'll go back to the story of Peter, the apostle, in chains. How did he respond when he was bound with two chains with two soldiers, surrounded by soldiers and sentries? It says that Peter went to sleep. In verse 7, it says an angel of the Lord stood next to Peter. Sorry, in verse 6, it says Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Here were two soldiers guarding him with chains and all. And Peter was fast asleep. I see a very great contrast between Peter and Herod, between Peter and many others. But Peter slept soundly because his heart was at peace. The next day would be his trial, and then after that, likely his execution. But Peter slept. What a beautiful picture this is. Reminds me of my friend Eric in death row. Eric was the one who saw Jesus just before he was executed. And the day before his execution, I had asked Eric what time he would like me to be present with him. Execution takes place at 6 in the morning. And usually, inmates waiting for the execution would not sleep. They would request that we be there maybe at 2 o'clock and talk with them, 3 o'clock, or something like that. But Eric said to me, well, why don't you come just maybe an hour before my execution so you can pray with me and then I'll take my shower and then I go. And I was very puzzled because no one had ever made such a request. Most of them, as I said, would have asked me to be there very early. 
Eric said, well, maybe 5 o'clock would be good enough. And I said, why don't you want to want me to stay longer to pray for you? I mean, you'll be awake. What will you be doing? And he said, well, simply this, I want to sleep. And what's this big deal about not being able to sleep? I'm going home. My work on earth is done. And it's going to be a happy time. Why shouldn't I just sleep and be ready to go home? I saw the serenity in Eric's demeanor, in Eric's words, that to him, life on earth was transient. Life on earth was labor, even if it was fruitful labor. It was heaven that is home. I pray that for each of us, this truth may dawn on us too. Peter was asleep. But even as the Holy Spirit, as the angel came to deliver him, Peter just took it one step at a time. He thought he was in a dream, just walking, taking one step at a time. That should also be our attitude towards life. God doesn't often give us a 10-year plan, a 5-year plan. doesn't draw out for us our future. We worry a lot, and sometimes it's good. I mean, you have to save for retirement, you have to make certain provisions, that's all true. At the same time, we must have our hands open before God. And where the angel of the Lord, where God leads us, then we say, God, just provide for us. Let us walk where you lead. I know this is a very big challenge for me and for each of you. But it's a prayer that I have for all of us, that we learn to understand that our life on earth is meant to be for fruitful labour, because our life in heaven is where we will finally be back home. I want to close with this song. It's called Find Us Faithful. It reminds us that we are pilgrims on this journey, but that our purpose in life then is to be faithful, and to leave a legacy for those behind us. One of the things that these apostles did was that they did leave a legacy that we read about even today and they inspire us. And we need to learn that lesson. We need to carry on that legacy. We're pilgrims on the journey in the narrow road. And those who've gone before us line the way, cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race not only for the prize, but as those who've gone before us, let us leave to those behind us the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. Only all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footsteps that we leave lead them to believe and the lives we live inspire them to obey oh may all who come behind us find us faithful
O may all who come behind us find us faithful. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you change our perspective and our expectations of life. We have, for most of our lives, expected comfort, success, progress in our lives. We are ever so angry when people stand in our way, stand in the way of our progress, stand in the way of our comfort, when we are disturbed even by small things. But how wrong we have been in the assessment of what our life, in the understanding of what our lives should be about. That, Lord, we are called to labour, we are called to serve one another, we are called to speak of your love for enjoying your love. Forgive us, Father, for our sloth. Forgive us for not understanding or refusing to understand that this is what we have been called for and to be. Help us now, Lord, day by day to understand your plans for us. That your plans are not for our comfort, your plans are not for our enjoyment, not here on earth. But your plans are for us to labour, to draw more and more to you. And that as we return home, you may say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful on earth. Now enjoy the splendours of heaven. Father, speak to us. Let your Holy Spirit teach us. Teach us then to hold what we have with a loose hand, not to grip, not to grasp. But Lord, to say, God, these that you give me, these things that you pour for us, may be used for your work if they are useful. And if they are not useful, then Lord, for me to release them, that I may pursue you all the more. That we may be like Paul who says, all these things I cast off, I count as nothing more than rubbish, as I pursue you, as I know you more, and I come to take your direction and your orders for my life. I pray, Lord, that this may be a truth for all of us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, have a blessed day. And as you do so, may the Lord continue to speak to you. God bless you. Goodbye.